All right. So welcome to the latest episode of the Modern uh, Job Hunt. And so today it's all about recruitment. So I have with me Alex and Char today. Um, so this episode is called The Other Side. So for those of you watching, uh, we're going to be talking about the hiring market from uh, human resources and recruiters perspective. Um, so Shar has a MA in organizational psychology, and she specializes in supporting organizations as they scale up by discovering A plus talent and nurturing values driven culture. Shar is passionate about living her life with what she calls B E E E or big empathy and equity energy both inside and outside of work. Currently, she is working at Beacon HR as their people operations and talent strategist, where she works with a variety of tech companies across Canada to build out their HR practices from scratch. Welcome, Char. And uh, we also have Alex. Alex is the founder of Nice Tech Recruiting, an executive search and technical recruitment agency focused on supporting startups, scale-ups, and unicorns as they have a positive impact on the world. He recruits engineers and other leaders for companies related to climate tech, health tech, and other tech for good. All right, welcome guys. Um, so as I, I had mentioned in, in, in past episodes in this episode, um, basically this show came out of me getting laid off and being like, I wanna talk to all kinds of interesting individuals from an insider's perspective of someone looking for work. Um, and so, um, that's kind of this human side of, of, of job hunting started out with, um, you know, what it feels to be laid off, AI applications, all that kind of stuff. Now we're getting into kind of some of the meat and potatoes, the mechanics of, of talking to recruiters. Um, and uh, so this, as a product person, I'm, I'm trying to create a great product here for everyone. But what we're doing today is we're going to be talking about this from a general technology background. So you guys recruit developers, you recruit probably designers and, and all kinds of creatives in the technology space. So this isn't product specific. It will be for kind of everyone. And we will be bringing up examples that apply to all people kind of watching this episode. Um, so with that, I will highlight my kind of new changes um, in, since the last episode. So I do have in-ear kind of relays, um, trying to improve my audio, move my mic a bit closer. So if anyone hears me a little bit better than last episode, let me know. That's what I'm trying to work on. Um, and this is my first panel. So I'm very excited to have my first panel on the show with, with more than one guest. Um, and so that is, is going to be kind of hopefully a great conversation throughout this episode. So uh, with that said, um, I'd like to kick us off and, and kind of go into our first uh, discussion piece, which is uh, how to work with um, external recruiters and agencies. And for anyone watching live, please remember you can put your questions in and we will see them live and then we'll get back to you uh, later in the episode. So I'll, I'll throw it over to Shar uh, to kind of say, how, how should people work with you, Beacon HR, and how, how does that work from your perspective? Yeah, yeah. Well, first off, thanks for having us. We're both excited to be here. Um, and to speak a little bit more to that, I think the biggest thing is whenever you're working with a recruiter is to approach it not as like, hey, I need a job right now. Like, I know that that is how it feels internally, but we're people on the other side. So I always approach it as like you're befriending a new person. 
Um, so try and keep in contact with them, check in and be like, hey, like I know we connected two years ago, let's say if you were talking to this recruiter before, just wanna check in, see what's available uh, and build that relationship up from scratch. I think that's probably the biggest thing and not being too pushy about things because that can feel feel really overwhelming, especially right now where things are really chaotic and we have a lot on our plate and we know that it's really stressful for people who are looking for jobs as well and we wanna be supportive of that. Um, but making sure it's a two-way street is really, really key. Um, but yeah, I'll hand it over to, to Alex. I know you have the insider scoop on this, I think, as well. So tell me tell me your perspective. Yeah. Um, so first of all, well, first of all, thanks again, Ryan, for having us. Um, so pleased to be here. And Char, you're exactly right. Um, I, I fully agree with what you're saying. Um, and I guess for me, before I started Nice Tech, I also worked for a couple of other agencies. So that's a little bit of where my perspective comes from. And a lot of candidates that I've worked with, I might have met two or three years before I placed them. Perhaps I reached out to them. Sometimes I'll reach out to somebody about a specific role and they'll say, hey, I'm not looking right now. But when things do kind of get to the end of the role that they're in, or maybe they find themselves on the market, I find a lot of them circle back with me and say, hey, that was a really poignant role that you reached out to me about. Um, do you have anything else like that? Um, if it does come up, I'm looking um, and I'm, I'd love to just have a quick chat, let you know what I'm looking for. And, and I think those are great chats. Um, it's very much like building a relationship with anybody else who's in your network, who can look out for you, your mentors, your ex-colleagues, your ex-employers. You wanna be having chats with all of these people when you think you're starting to make that move, uh, whether that be at a confidential stage which is one of the things recruiters are really good for, or whether it's, hey, I'm on the market, I'm I'm looking for something pretty quickly, and at the very least, I'd like some advice. And so what is the best practice for people that are kind of off the market? Because I, you know, most of the time you're employed. Um, so so like what should people be doing uh, to, to work with you? Is, is it kind of like every year, maybe sending an updated CV to get into like a CV bank? Is it is there some way that they can kind of keep you updated? And maybe, maybe if you place them a year later, it's nice to get a message that says, oh, I really love the role that you got placed, you know, place me in. Like, what, what, is, what do you guys like about, about kind of placing candidates and, and how, how can candidates help, you know, that relationship? Well, there, there are several there are several questions and several several answers there. Um, do you mind if I answer this one, Shar? Um, yeah, go. For I, it. I, I'd say the first thing is when you're off the market, try to keep uh, tabs on who reaches out to you with things that are a really good fit for you. Um, most recruiters, most agencies have specialties. Some of them are fairly broad. Some of them are very specific. Try to figure out who resonates with you. And if you didn't make a note of that before, go through your inbox and try to find the recruiters who, who align with you and try to build a relationship with uh, a certain amount of them, maybe it's five or, or 10 or two or three. It's going to kind of depend on your situation. Um, and then, yeah, check, have a quick hello, check in once every six months to a year, have your resume updated. Um, and that, 
ideally that should be going both ways as a recruiter we try to make a point to just check in and have a quick hello with people every you know three to eight months or so but sometimes we also get bogged down with a, a million and one other searches and sorts of things so um the short answer is yeah keep keeping the database each recruiter has their own database also there are a number of laws here in canada um, in europe and the us um, that everybody may not always know how to interpret but uh, the very short answer for most of them is you want to have that um, your permissions uh, and, your, and your information updated uh, Shar, mm -hmm. um, your thoughts yeah i think i agree with everything you said i would say it never hurts if you know you're going to be in the same city and you did have you've been building a relationship with someone to reach out and say hey i'm i'm in vancouver do you want to grab a coffee i think that's always goes a long way in relationship building um or even just saying like i want to just touch base with you and have a quick call i think that's those are some of the best relationships that that i've often built uh, and paying attention as as alex said to who you're talking to and then the company if you're like hey this was a great fit um, making sure you're staying in touch with people there and I think just staying on top of that is really really key to keep the relationship alive because it's it's almost like a it's any other relationship as we've said or like a friendship where you're really just building that up and um, that goes a long way when you get to, into the process of looking and how do you both manage um, your energy in in such a kind of complicated sector i i i feel like you know as someone that's gone through interviews to go into an interview with a recruiter that's having a good day can be like magical you just feel like you're hitting every every softball that comes at you but then you know if the recruiter maybe didn't have a good day or just doesn't vibe with your personality it it like makes all the little questions um and and as a product person you know we we work as an interdisciplinary person on the team. And, and sometimes like energy is a part of it, but it's totally like we know who we're working with. Whereas you're walking into new meetings every single day with people you've never met before. And so I imagine it's a large part of the job. Yeah, um, I know that there are some days when I have had like eight interviews <laughs> and it's <laughs> by the end of the day, I'm like, oh my goodness, uh, this is a lot. But I think the biggest thing like being in the space that we're in and we, we hold so much power, I think is something to be really aware of. And we need to make sure that we're creating an inclusive space where like we're open to listening. So I think that's really important for me is even if I have, I'm on my eighth interview of the day that I'm like, okay, I'm showing up to this. I know that this person is going to be probably significantly more stressed out about this than I am. So setting that pace. And I think sometimes it can even be for, for managing my energy. I try to like limit myself to a max of four or five interviews a day. <laughs> um, that definitely helps. But when those chaotic times come, I think it's really resetting yourself before the interview and making sure like, am I in a good space? And then you can even share with the candidate like, hey, like just letting you know, I'm having I'm having a tough time here. <laughs> um, but I think that helps like level the playing field almost and level nerves as well with, with who you're talking to. Yeah, yeah those are those are great points, Shar. Um, and there certainly is a friend of mine said something along the lines of um, a role with an emotional bandwidth or an emotional toll that um, you need to make sure that you that, that you're managing. Um, and I think mm -hmm. 
try not to set up too many interviews is, is, is a great idea. I try to do that with buffers, but you know, sometimes yeah, you do get a lot. Um, we also have to deal with a lot of rejection on our sides because sometimes we're, we're reaching out um, to very specific candidates, uh, to clients. And um, I think you just have to try to maintain that empathy and think that you are dealing with humans throughout this whole process. And um, the best piece of advice that I learned when I first started this is like, for us, this is this is a deal and or, you know, it's one hire, but for for that person, this is this is their life. This could set the trajectory for the next two years or or twenty. So we've got to really just be mindful of that and respectful of it, um, and try to be excited about the the clients that we work with, um, and while also being very honest when it's not a fit and empathetic and giving people feedback and saying this isn't a fit for this and this actually may not be right for you and I want to keep an eye out for the right thing that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to to add on to that, I think that that sparked something in my memory. But yeah, I think like the biggest thing is for for my energy is I always try to remember that even if someone's not a fit for the role I'm working on right now, that doesn't mean they're not going to be a great fit for something that comes up three years from now, or even like could be three weeks from now. Uh, and then yeah. yeah, and you also never know when that person's going to be on the other side. So I think that's always something that we as people should always keep in mind of like, I never know if maybe in the future that person's going to be interviewing me or going to be a part of my hiring process. So it's really key that we like keep ourselves empathetic and grounding ourselves that we've got a lot of power. So we got to manage that. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think a lot of what you guys have said um, can easily apply to anyone on the other side. I think that the more you go into something and be like, okay, this person has my best interest at heart. And you, you, you think that right from day one, um, I think that can really get the ball going on, on the right foot. And um, like ATS systems, they, you know, we're, we've gone through a world where people dropped off CVs in person that were made on computers to I, I, I don't even know if you could drop off a CV in person anymore. And, and they're all going through these applicant tracking systems. And and like I think from a job hunter's perspective, it, it's it's making personal relationships that much more important. Um, but like what is what is the recruiter's side of the kind of ATS world like? Is it has it made the job more challenging? Has it has it made it better I, I i don't know it's 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 a complicated thing uh, at the ats world so I'm, I'm curious your views on on kind of that from a recruiter's perspective i can i can start us off uh <laughs> i love ats's i i've worked with clients when we have no ats and it's fully through email um it's it's a great place to start but ats's make it a world of a lot easier <laughs> because <laughs> um, it's like just nicer to be able to kind of look through and sort through things. But I do know that one of the challenges that I find with ATSs is, is you do on the candidate side, it's like you have to be so aware of keywords. And I think it adds that it has added more of that element in. Um, so but I, I love working with ATSs. I think they've, they've made our jobs a lot easier in just being able to have everything in one place and know where everyone's at, and know how we've communicated with them, making sure that we've communicated with them. <laughs> all of those those good things yeah um 100% i i've been in a few situations where things were managed by spreadsheet and email too and 
yeah, the first thing to get away from is like build a decent system. Um, but also understand that even the best ATS systems on the market, whether they be meant for one specific client or agency based, or even custom built ATSs, which is what we've mostly used uh, for the on the internal agency side, um, even when you're building everything to your very specific company processes and needs can be flawed. Um, so things still kind of get lost in the shuffle. Um, as for keywords, I think they can help you narrow down on things, but you still definitely need to go through it with a human touch. Um, I think the biggest issue with ATS systems right now is when they don't know how to handle a, a massive influx of, of applicants when there may be like four or 500. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure exactly how you how you always work with, with your clients, Shara, but I know I've been in situations where we've sent somebody who is the perfect candidate and po pointed out, okay, here's the five bullet points your hiring manager is looking for. And the HR team and the hiring team said, yes, they're perfect. And they realized the person had applied two months earlier and oh, still yeah. the, 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 the ATS didn't pick them up, even though it was supposed to be um, that efficient. Um, so yes, ATSs are great, but they're not perfect and they still require mm -hmm. a human touch. Yep, 100%. <laughs> very, very interesting kind of like, there's there's a lot of a lot of benefits to them. Um, and, and I think that uh, it, it, it is always interesting to see the other side because I as a candidate almost feel like some systems are making it too easy to apply. I, I don't know if, if you guys are like, oh yeah, the LinkedIn easy apply button is a nightmare for recruiters, but but it, it always feels like, you know, what is the right balance to strike to, to make your, and, and like lever and, and, and kind of greenhouse or others that make it extremely easy. And, and now like I, as a candidate, I'm using AI tools to accelerate certain ATS system. I can just drop in all my, PII and it's like boom move on to the questions that are unique um and so do you find that it, it's kind of over indexing on on speed on certain ATSs and you're getting too much volume or like I guess that's a balance that you set up as the recruiter yeah I think it's a balance I think if you add questions in there as you said I think it's mm -hmm. totally fine if you're like hey I'm automating I'm making this quicker but it's really the personalized questions that we usually are looking at and being like, okay, how does this person answer this? Have they responded? Uh, I think that's actually a really good point for, for folks to take home is that responding to the questions is important. Sometimes it looks like it's optional, but it's like, oh, it's it actually does say a lot if you're going through that process and, and, and responding to them. Um, but yeah, I would say right now, like we, as we kind of talked about previously, there's been a huge influx of the amount of people that are applying to jobs and, I don't know if that's just because of ATS is making it easier or if it's because of the market. I think I would tend to think it's because of the market. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. It's a it's a tough balance, but I usually yeah, it's good to have the the questions in there that help us decipher who's who's truly interested. <laughs> yeah, they, they are a quick weed out uh, when they're used. Mm -hmm. um, gotcha. And, and how does this whole process differ depending on the candidate type that you're like if you're going for a software developer or a designer um you know you're 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 
you have to put yourself in that shoe person's shoes and, and like structure the process a little bit differently. Is, is, is it easy to do eight interviews in a day and shift from a content strategist to a developer to, you know, is, is it, do you often have multiple files that you're running at the same time and how easy is it kind of making those switches? So yes, we are, well, uh, on my side, and especially in the, the agency realm, um, or when I have worked internal as part of an RPO process, there usually are uh, several different recs uh, on, on the go at a time. Um, this is going to be one of those, it depends. It depends on the recruiter, the types of roles, the types of agencies. Um, so it could be a recruiter style. I would try to train my other recruiters to focus on one thing at a time. Um, rather than, you know, splitting racks, but maybe, you know, two or three hours going through your internal applicants for each, each role, and then moving on to other tasks, because there will be outbound tasks, there will be interviews, there will be certain things. Um, it will depend on the role, um, in that some will have more of an influx, flux of inbound, some will have more, more of an outbound. Um, the hiring manager and what they're looking for. Um, some are very specific in what they're looking for. Some are a little bit more open-minded and figuring out how you go through that, making sure you know, you're applying what they want, making sure that you're also allowing for a diverse group of candidates because it's the right thing to do and it's also better for the company and thinking. Um, so as a, yeah, as a one size fits all, it's, Yes, there you can get through a few different roles, but there's a, a lot of it depends there. Um, I don't know if you feel the same way, Char. Yeah, I feel like I just want to plus one everything you just said. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say that I think it's we're, we're often working on multiple roles at once and there is a lot of context switching, especially like when you're in the agency world, there's a lot of like hopping into different companies, different roles as well. Yeah. Um, but it is one of those things that I think we just have come more accustomed to over time and setting ourselves up to, to focus on one role and then pivot to the next one when we need to. And I definitely agree with you, Alex, on that sometimes you're only looking at inbound applicants and then other times it's like, nope, I, I need to go out and source for this role and really look for, for people and reach out to them on LinkedIn. So it's totally dependent on, on really what you're working on at the time. And, and how do you balance the kind of interviewing as a skill versus job-based skills? Because I, I imagine sometimes you bump into candidates and you're like, wow, after unpacking this candidate, they're really good. But on the surface, their CV is out of date or like there's a whole bunch of ways they present their answers that are different. Like that must be challenging because you want to pass them on to the next level, but you're like, this person's going to get stuck there or something like that. Like how, how does that whole process work when you're like, Ooh, this, this is the gem here. It's just not polished because it, it, interviewing is a skill. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's taking me time to kind of get back to, to my top performance. Mm -hmm. I think we probably yeah. both have a lot to speak in. I, I went first, you, yeah. you go first if you want. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a really hard one. There's like some really great people. I feel like this is a constant thing. Um, when people re-enter the job market, they're like, I don't know how to speak to my skills. A lot of people, especially, they'll be like, I've been at a company for four to five years. How do I even talk about what I just did? Uh, and it can feel like a lot of word vomit, I think. 
<laughs> for people. Um, so a lot of what I do will try and coach them through that of like, hey, here's, I know we all have heard of the star way of answering a question. I highly recommend it. <laughs> and practicing. That's like something that's so huge is actually sitting down, whether it's your friend or in front of a mirror and practicing saying your responses out loud. I know people absolutely hate uh, listening to themselves recorded, but I think it's really important. <laughs> I always suggest that as a practicing technique, because um, as you said, there's some people who are just, they're not not great at interviewing and that's most, I would say most people are not, it doesn't feel natural to speak about yourself. Uh, and then there's the other side of it of people who are really good at speaking about themselves and you get super jazzed about it. And then maybe it's like, oh, they're really great at interviewing, but maybe you don't have the actual skill set. So it, it is really a balancing act of like, how do you get into these things and really asking a lot of probing questions and then preparing candidates if they're not good at interviewing of what do you do if somebody asks you a probing question that's not on the guide that they sent over and not what you expected. I went all over there with that answer, but Alex, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> uh, to articulate it the way that you did plus one everything that, that, that you said um i guess the answer to this turns out to be more of a tip for other interviewers um in that you know if you really want to find those diamonds in the rough you need to spend the time and then um, i know i mentioned earlier there there are different interview styles the rushed interviews unfortunately overlook a lot of these people um, a lot of the people who are, who are really great and haven't moved for a while, you need to stop and recognize that. Like, well, why hasn't this person been interviewing for, for, for so long? It's well, they've been heads down working. And especially in a technical field, there's a lot of people who are much better with written communication than necessarily verbal. Um, so you really need to stop and ask, I guess, somewhat the other side of the star question is, what did you build? How did you build it? Why did you build it that way? and kind of let them shine and you'll you'll find even the most quiet or you know, introverted if you want to use that term people will often shine when they just get to say oh yeah here's what i know and here's what we get to dig and you give them that avenue to to, to let that out uh that's where i find my my best interviews come from they just they, they do take a little bit longer but they're often well worth it and they're often give you more ammo to make a case to your clients when your clients are the type that are allowing you to make a case, which is who we want to usually try to work with as much as possible. Um, on the flip side, if you're trying to prepare for those interviews, go through your process, think about what did you do? Why did you do it that way? How would you do it differently? Who did you do it with? Uh, if that helps. Yeah. And because most of your clients are technology companies, I'm, I'm curious if you've come across anything in the interview prep space. I mean, there's there's a million CV improvement, ATS alignment kind of products out there. Um, curious, like interviewing practice is one that I personally haven't bumped into anything that everyone gives a gold star to. So I'm cur curious if you're like, oh, you know, with AI now, you could actually mirror an interview potentially. Oh. On the interviewing, sorry to jump in on this, but on the interviewing space, um, I would say the University of Waterloo's engineering department has a publicly facing interview practice overview that they give their students as a good place to start. Um, 
and their their, their co-op students are world renowned for how well they are at their co-ops and at how how good how prepared they are for their interviews. So that's a good so that's that's something that somebody else has written better than I can to start at least as a framework. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to, to add on to that, there's, I know I always use and reference people, I think Workable is a great resource. Mm -hmm. uh, you can go on there and they have a lot of full interview guides for what people are probably going to be asking you depending on the role you're looking for. So highly recommend running through through that. Um, and then I mentioned the, the star system for answering questions. I think that's, it's really good. It gives you a framework of how to work through something and then you can practice exactly knowing what you want to say and having examples ready. Um, yeah. yeah, and I always recommend people when they're looking at the job posting and getting ready to have an example for each of the different aspects and just practicing saying that out loud, because you're probably not going to go through each of those examples, but it just primes you to have it on top of your mind. Yeah, I, yeah great extra points, Char. Um, to, to add to that more, and I don't know if there is a specific resource out there for this. Um, I would say to start by recognizing that there isn't going to be, unfortunately, one standardized interview process. Mm -hmm. um, different screeners, different interviewers, different companies will all modify their interview practice in a slightly different way. There are certain frameworks that you will generally see, um, which you know, uh, what Char has already mentioned and what our university thought would kind of cover. Um, from a initial screener, I'll usually find that an initial screener might just be going through a quick checklist. Hey, do you have these skills? They might give you an open-ended question, depending on how much time they have. It might be longer or shorter. Um, often they might describe the role very quickly and say, hey, tell me about your experience that lines up. So you want to, want to be ready for that um they might just say hey tell me your story and let it be completely open-ended um and yeah and a number of different different avenues and then as you go through the process there may be a number of different ways that they might structure the interview um, again kind of walking through your story doing top grading going through systems design analysis whiteboarding for coding challenges, there's a number of different ones that are out there. Like you might want to try Elite Code or something like that. Um, the tech challenges that you might come up with are, you know, the most common ones are, you know, build a specific challenge that I, I've got some qualms against somewhat, but uh, as long as they're not too long. Um, some might ask you to fix some broken code um, and some might ask you to do some paired programming. Each one has slightly different objections, objectives and ways to look at it. But um, my advice, and this is quite a, uh, an arduous task, is to try to practice from all these different, uh, approaching all these different methodologies because it's hard to know. The other thing you should ideally do is whether it's an internal recruiter or an external recruiter, ask if they know what type of interview it's going to be. Will it be conversationally technical? Will it be just a cultural interview? Will it be very technical? Ideally, they should kind of have a sense of how your interviewer approaches this so you can prepare in the best way. Mm -hmm. and, and you mentioned checklists there. It, as a candidate, um, if I read the job description, um, 
should I see the required items and then weave those into the sentences? Like, is, is there a way that you can be like, this, uh, recruiters yes. have checklists. Yes. We need to sit these things to, to move you on to the next round. Like, what is the easiest way? Is it, is it just read the job description, reiterate those in sentences? Yes, um, as an oversimplification. Um, that recruiter's probably been told that they're looking for, depending on the market the and the hiring manager and a few factors, somewhere between 40 to 80% is what they're trying to kind of check off. Um, so look through those experiences and figure out where do you line up and where you don't line up, figure out what you have that is similar. So, you know, maybe you've, maybe you haven't worked with React, but you've worked with Vue.js and you can show that, okay, they're both relatively, they're not exactly the same. They're very different paradigms, but they're both relatively the same. And if you have enough other checklists, that might be something that might be a learnable skill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even you can share, I, I find it's helpful if somebody's like, well, I don't use, I've never used React in my role, but here's what I've done outside of, outside of my work. And here's how I keep up to speed. I think that's always helpful and kind of goes a goes a long ways um, in speaking to, to technical skills too. Yeah, I, I think I wanted to highlight on that kind of 40 to 80 range that you mentioned there, Alex, because you know, a lot of studies do show that certain marginalized groups do apply less if they don't feel like they hit all of the items. So for those people listening, 40 to 80%, if you get that at 40, get that application in. So that that that's good yep. to hear. And and going uh, at 35, especially like, yeah. Um, especially for those of you who are feeling hesitant, because you're 30, if you're feeling hesitant, you're 35 is probably somebody else's 60. Gotcha. Okay, that's I mean, that's that's great for, for anyone listening in. And and I think that looking at this all as a funnel, like earlier in the episode, we talked about the CV, the keywords, all that kind of stuff. Now we're, we're talking about the interviews. I, I think it is like, like an onion, you kind of got to work layer by layer to, to, to get to the point where you get a job. And, and I think the recruiter is that first like human step. Um, and that kind of goes back to like Brent, uh, one of our listeners asked a question about the ATS and the and the recruiter, like, I, I think it's like, are all the rejections coming out of the a ATS? Are all the emails coming out of the ATS? When I reply to a recruiter, does it actually go to an ATS? Like, how does that work on your side? Is that is that is it kind of like a dashboard and, and like, what is it like? It's very dependent on the ATS you're working with. Um, I how I've typically set it up when I'm working with a new ATS or I'm setting up something new. Uh, what it usually looks like is you apply, it goes into a big bank of everyone who has applied, then I get the opportunity to review every single resume. So I'm going through, I'm shortlisting folks, and then I'm leaving people in a in a pool who maybe I'm not shortlisting. And then when I am either emailing them or to reject them or to let them know to move, move forward, it does connect with my email. So anything you reply, I do see it. Um, so if you're rejected and you're like, hey, thank you, or hey, I want to know why I was rejected, we do get those emails. So they show up in, a, in our inbox and we can see them and we should be replying, <laughs> um, would be would be my, my take there. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, when I've worked with agency and internal ATSs that I've set up, we've set them up the same way. Um, 
again, like I said, it depends. So not every client will, but um, yeah, it should be, a human should be seeing it. You should be receiving a message and they should be receiving a reply. And a um, bit of a spicy question, but boilerplate rejections, um, have they increased in your careers? Um, and, and maybe you guys are like, hey, we don't, that's not me, but but that's okay. Um, I, I have seen kind of like an increase and, you know, sometimes you do two or three rounds and you get a, sorry, we're moving on with another candidate. And you're like, wow, that was 10 hours into that. And like, can we get a little bit more? Like, I understand maybe it's a liability thing. Like what has changed over the last 10 years to see kind of more of these, I would say inhumane rejections? Yeah, yeah. I can start with a piece of it and then let you take it. But I, I know that like one of the big reasons it's increased, especially the larger companies that you're you're probably if you're applying to a larger company and you get boilerplate responses, it is because it's being guided by the legal team. It may not be that's how the recruiter wants to reply or wants to do it. It's like what they're being told to do. I'm really unfortunate. Um, and I think that's due to like situations that have come up that have put companies at, at risk. And that's why that is that way. Um, I try to always make sure it's an empathetic rejection, uh, making sure that I think like even if you're sending a group of rejections at once, making sure you're leaving it as a conversational thing of like, here's why this decision was made. You can ask me questions about why this decision was made. Let's stay in touch. I think those are really, really important things. Yeah, sensitive topic, but I think it's like a really, really important one because it's done wrong a lot of times. <laughs> Plus 10. Are you plus 10? <laughs> um, yeah, the, at the initial stage, um, the, the add on there is th there is a time crunch, you know, uh, it's hard to give a, a personalized message to everybody who's initially applied. Um, I can't fathom why people give boilerplate after two or three messages other than yes, I know the, the legal team is the issue. Um, there really should always be an opportunity for you to at least have a quick conversation. Um, and the recruiter to at least should at least say to you, I'm sorry, I can't really say that much more, or here's what I do know and can say. Yeah, I mean, on, on, on the candidate side, I, I feel like what I would love to always know is, was it my skills or was it the competitor? Because sometimes it's it's a job candidate fit, and and they're like, hey, we were looking for this, you didn't you didn't meet that bar, and it's like, then you can learn. Okay, I just have to get these few little Lego blocks, and then I'll get over the bar. And then sometimes it's like, this guy just came out of MIT, and he has massive <laughs> skills, and you're like, well, I'm not going to learn that overnight. So it's always good to know kind of like what what it was, um, and. Yes, I, I have actually wrote amazing Glassdoor reviews for companies that have someone to get on the phone for like 15 minutes, 10 minutes to just be like, hey, it was four rounds. Let's just do, like, I can't write this, but I can, and, and like, it's like those companies I've applied to over and over again. And it seems like there's certain cultures out there that are still amazing for candidates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if you, it's like after you've interviewed at least once or twice you should be getting some sort of feedback and i think you're totally it's the candidate's right to ask for that as well um i know some people will feel like oh can i can i ask for feedback at this point in time if they rejected me i always say you always can um and people should reply whether or not they do like 
that's <laughs> on every different recruiter out there, but they should be replying. And that's something you can always ask for is, hey, why didn't, why didn't I move forward? 100%. And tooling and tech stacks, how critical is that um, for, for different roles? Like you, we've, we talked a little bit about React versus Vue.js and, and other things. Um, like maybe sometimes that's a hundred percent required and other times it's not like how, how, how does, how, do, how I guess it, it's, maybe it's an independence question, but I'll, I'll throw this one to Shar to start us off. Uh, yeah, totally. It depends on the client and on maybe the level of the role. Like I know a lot of times if you're bringing someone in who is going to be your um, architect into the system, you would definitely want them to have used that, that language before whatever tool you're using. But um, if it's maybe somebody who's joining as an individual contributor, maybe it's like, oh, it'd be great to have somebody who hasn't used this language before because they're going to offer a new perspective. It's really dependent on the role. And I think what Alex said around, if you don't have experience with a specific language, making sure like what other language have you worked with that is comparable to that and how can you weave that in um, is really important. Very well said, Cher. Um, yeah, the, the, no disagreement there. Um, I guess the only extra thing to think about, um, each hiring manager has their objective that they're looking to fill. As you're figuring out how to weave, weave it in, that's the case that we're trying to make. Um, mm -hmm. All right, I've got a, I've got a two-parter then. I'll throw it to Alex. Um, incentives, how does the whole recruitment industry work um and and like how do people get paid all that kind of stuff and kind of the second part of that is how do you know you're doing a good job like when you when you place a candidate how how, how does that so kind of those two parts of a, of a coin of like pay and, and kind of success so there are multiple ways for uh, recruiters to get paid um the most common one uh to date has been contingency search um, which is it's a success fee that the recruiter gets paid once somebody starts their job and typically is dependent on them meeting their uh, essentially the probation period, but sometimes it's extended um, beyond the three months to, to even six. Um, so that contingency fee is based on is the person going to take the job? Are they going to be happy and satisfied there for a while? Um, there's also retained search, which works sim similarly. You, the client pays a retainer like they would to a, a law firm or anybody else. Um, and usually that retainer is reconcilable against the whole fee. Then um, there's also RPO, which is where a recruiter might come in and be part of the team, help things get start, set up. I believe, Shar, you probably work more on this basis. Um, and for all of these across the board, um, on the successful side, I would say success is when a client, for me, is when a client wants to keep coming back. And when the people who join that company stick around for, you know, on average, you know, two to five years, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more, because they're happy and engaged and they feel like they're growing with the company. Um, similarly, success on, on the candidate side is, you know, when they're happy with the offer that they're getting, they're the candidates who did not take the job are happy with the candidate experience because hopefully your client has given you the feedback to let them know what's not working. You can fill it relatively fast, even if it is a very difficult, um, vague search to start. Um, and yeah, those 
those candidates stick around for a while and the clients keep coming back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, nothing to add, beautifully put. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Sean. Great, thanks for kind of un unpacking that piece. Um, so, and, and I think I've found those different pieces throughout my career and it's it's very interesting interacting with recruiters in different roles um, because the one word is success-based. I remember being like, wow, you're sending me so much information on how to prepare. And like, it was like, this is crazy. Like, I'm loving this experience. And then, and then, you know, in the majority of the cases, it's like when you're on an internal uh, task or whatnot, it's, it's like an evaluation type thing. You're not, you're not kind of being pushed uh, with the tailwind. Um, so I, I, I love the ones where it's success-based because I feel like the, the recruiters kind of in your corner and, and helping helping you get through the process. I believe it's more and more evened out though now where it's the internal team and the success-based teams are, are, are partners. Um, I, I, assume, mm -hmm. I assume you would agree being more on the internal side, Char. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's like a lot of the times right now because I think so many candidates have had that experience of now I've gone through this and I've had somebody really advocating for me. That's kind of how, how I was when I was first starting out and getting trained. It was like, I'm always going to be an advocate for the candidate. Um, I'm sure I'm like the voice of a company, but my role is to really be like, okay, how can I make sure this candidate is set up for success? Like you said, if I can send them an interview guide to prepare them for an interview, or if I can advocate for them when it comes to salary, salary or anything like that, I think that's what we're seeing more of as people who are advocates versus just like pushing you through. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's got to work for everybody and be a pleasant experience and, and a good deal for everybody involved. Otherwise, it's not going to be for anybody. Mm -hmm. And like being on your radar, um, is it ever that like you see a role and you think of three people? Like, is, 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 it, is it like we should just be kind of active and work on our brand and that will actually improve our careers long term yes <laughs> With, yes. I don't know, yes period uh, <laughs> yeah like i think if you uh have a niche that you are interested in like lean into it would be my biggest thing um because it makes it so much easier when i can say oh, I know, I know this person loves working with this tech stack and they love this industry um, and they, they, these are their values. And then when, as soon as I see that role, it's like, oh my gosh, I, I'm gonna hit up Ryan right now. Um, it just makes it so much easier. So I, I think like if you lean into your brand, um, that's super helpful doing things like this that just kind of like keep you top of mind of just like, let's, let's talk and you wanna reach out to those people, I think is, it, it's great when you have that network of people to reach out to. Nothing to add. Um, my perfection is a client says, hey, we're looking for blah, blah, blah. And I go, yep, three people. Let me call them tomorrow and see if who's interested in chatting with you. Gotcha. And, and, and how do you work with a candidate that may have range, I can say? Like they, they haven't quite found that depth in one area and they've done different industries, different roles and whatnot, but yet it, it may all come together beautifully to create uh, something for a company, but it's not like the easiest sell. Like this probably happens occasionally as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think being a generalist is a good thing too. Like if you're 
as I just said, this is maybe the opposite of what I just shared, but like a niche is great, but it's also really awesome if you're like, hey, I've done all of these different things. These are my different experiences. It's totally dependent on the role and what you want to do. Um, so I wouldn't say either is bad. I think it's just like carving yourself out to be who, who you want to be. And if you're figuring it out, I think that's okay too. You know, it's, that's how we find great people and grow great talent. Yeah, um, fully agree. And the only thing to, to add on is the, the other, the flip side of the perspective, many clients we work with, especially in the smaller, the smaller companies, uh, larger companies too, but they, they, they're less likely to admit it, don't actually know what they're looking for. Um, most of the job descriptions I've had, uh, especially with startups is, ah, I'm trying to figure out who to hire. We're trying to do this. Who do you know on the market who could solve this? Um, and that's where I, I often lean back on the people who don't have a, you know, a traditional uh, profile because uh, they've solved a number of really cool problems that might be somewhat similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think um, just to add another point on there, because I think this is something that I've been seeing a lot of lately with um, tech startups. I mean, it's kind of always been a trend, but when oftentimes I think candidates will get deterred from applying to a role that maybe is marketed as like, the VP of something or the head of something. And then when it comes down to it, it's a team of let's say like 10 people and it's actually two. gonna be, yeah, or two. You're, <laughs> and you're, you're really like, you're looking for an individual contributor. And I would say, don't be afraid to apply to those positions, especially if it's small companies because you don't know who they're looking for. And you may not be like, hey, I'm a perfect niche, but they may be looking for someone to grow into that role, not to just be hitting it right out of the gate, so. Gotcha. So, so kind of changing gears now, I'll just flash up uh, the next question, which is around the job market today. Um, so we're, we're recording this in October, 2023, um, pretty much 12 months of consistent uh, layoffs. You know, the, yesterday was LinkedIn 3%, I think of their, of their workforce globally. So we haven't seen that totally diminish, but uh, I have more optimism that the layoffs are declining, whether we're seeing the kind of roles being posted and and, and, and hiring start again is, is maybe another thing. Um, there are companies with cash flow positive out there, but like, what what are you guys seeing on, on the inside kind of track on, on the recruiter side? You wanna go first? Sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Canadian standoff there for a second. Um, <laughs> So the data that you're seeing out there, I'm, I'm seeing the same thing. I, I've seen a number of posts that you know layoffs are slowing. Um, I think I, I read something from Ernest and Young that uh, the about the other mar uh, metric to look at, which is funding, essentially venture funding, um, was you know relatively strong in Q1, Q2. VC wasn't that strong, but angel and seed funding was showing some promise, some hope. Um, and I think really that's what we're tracking is, you know, our, our investors going to be coming back in the market, especially for, for the tech sector, the st software startups and scale-ups. Um, I've seen some hopeful posts about a rise in internal talent acquisition and recruiter hiring, which is a promising indicator that a lot of companies are going to be gearing up to hire. Um, my optimistic side feels like 
we're going to see a, a, another pickup again, probably early 2024, when there usually is probably around February, when there usually is a hiring bump, usually clients, usually hiring picks up in September and February after, you know, after vacations and budgets come out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I would say to, to add on to that, I think I agree with everything you said. Um, on the candidate side, I would say that we are right now seeing a huge influx in applications, which has been, um, which is really exciting to see, but also like, it's hard because you know, it's because there's so many layoffs going on and people are wanting to transition. Um, so there's a lot of really great talent out there, which is making it quite competitive from um, a candidate perspective, which is challenging. So what I would say to everybody who's looking for a job out there right now is networking goes a really long ways, putting yourself out there. I know it can feel super awkward and uncomfortable, <laughs> um, but it is one of those things that if you can become and have a relationship with a recruiter or other people on teams that you do want to join in the future, if you're, for example, if you want to get into product and you reach out to maybe someone on the product team and start talking to them and get more coffee chats going with them. That's always a good thing to do. Uh, but yeah, I think it's it's a tough time to be in the tech industry right now. I think we're not out of the tough times yet. Hopefully it does pick up in the beginning of 2024. But I would say for now, um, keep talking to people. I think um, applying is good, but talking to people is is even better and a great way to stand out. Yeah, and I, th I think that like as someone that has had senior roles I'm so glad that um, I have that experience because I, I know people from multiple different companies that have all kind of scattered throughout the tech sector and, and, and they know my work ethic and my work. And, and so they're able to pull me into companies. I think for, for, for new kind of graduates and, and whatnot, it, it can be a bit daunting, but I, I think that there are still, I'm still seeing internships at certain companies and other things. So like companies are still keeping that pipeline. It just may be that people are are, are moving laterally or, or down one rung and, and kind of trying to go from an existing tech career and customer success, maybe into a junior product or something like that. So it's, it's, it's challenging, but, but there, there are roles out there. So hopefully people, you know, keep, keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. And on the like kind of specialization piece um kind of how has the global world changed like alex you, you're you're in nice tech you're you're kind of going deep into that space I, th I think that we're seeing more and more kind of specializations and people like i i was working with people in brazil i was working with people in, in ecuador recently and and it's an amazing kind of way and, and and that also opens the global talent and we're all in bc here in canada um but but like we're seeing more and more of this kind of globalization of of talent and, and kind of how does that change the game from a recruiter's perspective the, the globalization of talent or the specialization or or both the globalization how does that make it easier or harder to be a recruiter both um <laughs> so much of recruitment is is it depends um we are seeing so th there is an uptick in, in work uh, I, yes i am also trying to focus i am focusing on nice tech and really trying to focus on clean tech there's a bit of a boom health tech has a bit of a boom too um so there that those specializations are, are, are somewhat growing. Um, we are, 
we're seeing more companies attempt to get people back to the office two or three days a week, working a little bit of away from, from remote. I think as hiring picks up, they will not be at a competitive advantage. I think they will regret that decision. Um, it makes it somewhat easier to, because we have a larger talent base, um, but also salaries are somewhat leveling out across all of these geographic different locations. And one of the main reasons, or one of the reasons that remote work was justified pre-pandemic was to try to take advantage of uh, different living, uh, cost of living. Um, so it's, it both opens up some doors, especialized, especially for specialized searches, but also makes things a little bit difficult for roles where there may be maybe more people who can fill them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed with everything you said there. I'll, I'll kind of throw my last question of the day to, to Shar, and then I'll, I'll, I'll allow you guys some kind of tips and top ups, just kind of general things as, as we kind of close out the episode. Um, in a challenging market, um, do you recommend NDAs or anything when, when an offer is on the table? How do how do candidates find out information about these companies, like their financial, like burn rates, all these kind of things that like I had I had another guest on last week. He was talking about how he evaluated companies, and he he said he loves NDAs or MNDAs just so that he can really understand what am I are these guys like. Did they raise super high and now they have a high burn rate and this is going to be a challenge in six months? Like how much does the recruiter get involved with that? And, and how much of that is really the candidate and the company themselves? Yeah, that's a, a good question. I think it's really dependent once, once again on the company you're talking to. Sometimes companies will be totally forthcoming with, hey, here's this information. We just, we just went through a round of funding. This is where we're at. This is how much um we've budgeted for this timeline um but there's also going to be companies like you said who don't want to share that at all and do want you to sign an nda uh, i think you can always ask i think that's the biggest thing is it never hurts as a candidate to request information if you think it's going to help you make that decision i know i've done that previously when i maybe wasn't sure about a company and i wanted more information before joining i have asked hey what are the details here what's the future going to look like because i want to make sure it's a good move and usually if you are the candidate they're making an offer to, they'll they'll provide that to you. I would make sure I know one of the things that can kind of put you off, off of a good footing is if you ask like a lot of really intense questions in <laughs> email. Um, as a candidate, I know on the other side I can be like, okay, this is great. I want to get them all the information they need, but I know some hiring managers can be like, oof, like is this a flag of <laughs> how this is going to be going forward. So I would just make sure when you're asking for that information that you're being empathetic and asking for it in a polite communication forward way. I'm just going to say, listen to Shar. She knows what she's saying. <laughs> yeah. And for, from a candidate side, I've sometimes I've like trickled that stuff by email and, and to get more information. I'm loving kind of Descript and Loom lately because I understand that email can be misconstrued sometimes. And if you come across in a video, audio, video kind of format, generally the person on the other side understands, oh, these questions are because he's concerned about these things and he he cares about our company and its success. So for anyone that hasn't used some of those products, it's a great way of just kind of being like, okay, this is a touchy subject. Let's like humanize it 
a little bit. Um, so with that mm -hmm. said, like, what are some general tips uh, that, that I'll, I'll start with Alex um, that, that you would recommend for, for candidates um, that are, that are working with companies and, and yourself? Okay. Wow. Um, yeah. In addition to everything we've gone through, yes, I guess on the last note, do your due diligence, do it in a human, human way or humane way. Um, interviews, no matter if times are good or bad, they're a two-way street. This is ideally going to be someplace you'll be for at least the next two years. Make sure it's a good fit. Um, even when times are tough, try make sure that you're joining a company for, because you believe in them and you want to work there. Um, ask questions uh, of your recruiter, of the people that, that you're working with. Um, ideally, try to be fairly candid. I know it's not always easy with every recruiter, but um, if you are kind of getting to the last stage with two, finally with two or three different companies, you need to work out timing. For example, that's something you want to try to work with with your recruiter and try to get your offers to align. Um, and you know, keep chatting with with people if you don't have enough leads. Um, keep networking, as Char, Char said. Uh, there is the right thing out there. Um, there's a whole bunch of shiny roles. These just died on me. Um, <laughs> there's a bunch of roles out there that look great, but there's no there's no perfect job. There's no perfect candidate. There's just a good fit for you and the company in this moment in time. And that company might not, not be a great fit in two years, and that's great because you've grown out of it and, you're off, and it's time for the next stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love all of that. <laughs> uh, I can jump into my last tips right now. We're, we're just over time here, but I'll run through them quickly. So I would say for, for me, I think maintain relationships with companies and recruiters, even if you've been rejected. So I think that's, I know sometimes we can be like, oh, this sucks that I got rejected. I want, I want to write an angry email. Don't do it. <laughs> I recommend just like making sure that you're maintaining that relationship after the fact, because even if you're not a fit for that role right now, according to the company, that may not be the case in even six months from now, things can always change. So make sure to maintain those relationships. I would say always try to integrate your values and what the company's values are into your responses and answers, especially if they are a values led company. Uh, that goes a really long ways. And so if you know what they are, try and bring them up in the interview process if they resonate with you. Communication really is key. So um, I always recommend something that I found really useful since ChatGBT has come out is run your emails past it. Uh, and ask if it's like a good email uh, or an empathetic way to respond. I find that's a great little way just to kind of make sure you're you're keeping things professional and you're responding in the best way possible. So lean on tools where you can and use good communication. Yeah, great, great points, guys. And and I I have been using Grammarly for a couple of years that just kind of gets me gives me the emoji that this is whether my my email is on point or not. So. <laughs> highly recommend kind of trying some of those things. And, and yeah, I, I think chat GPT is amazing too. It just star format. I'm, is this really working? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it can even like expand an example, like getting away from that white page and, and being like, this is one sentence, make a star example. And then you actually just fill it in with kind of your information. So 
Um, really great points, guys. Love the conversation. Hopefully everyone else. Um, if anyone wants to kind of get some mentorship with me while I'm job hunting, I'm doing a few one-on-ones here and there. So that's my ADP list, helping people out, paying forward. Um, so yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. This was a great conversation. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll end it there. Thanks, everyone.